Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Beyond the Benefits with Savoy. In the first part of this podcast series, Savoy's Vice President, Wendy Ebner, discussed the impact that relationships have in our industry and why it is important to focus on building stronger ones in 2020. In part two of the series, Wendy will take a deeper dive into understanding how your clients view relationships and provide some best practices and good habits to apply throughout the year. And now over to you, Wendy. Hi, this is Wendy Ebner, Vice President. Welcome back to our second episode of a two-part series on relationships. Today, we're gonna take a deeper dive into understanding clients and what they view as a healthy relationship. I'm gonna provide some best practices and good habits that you can bring into the new year. Savoy is here to make sure that you're equipped with all kinds of tools to build strong relationships with clients and to remain, as we all wanna be, a trusted advisor. Before we can dive into best practices, You need to understand your clients and how they perceive a good relationship. And no surprise, no two people are alike. It begins, ready for this, with what we call, in quotes, their love language. I realize this is somewhat of an odd term for business, but stay with me. Last episode, I mentioned a few books. The one we're going to talk about right now is actually not a business book at all, but it can be applied. In fact, the book we're going to talk about is about developing and understanding people personally and in business. It is Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. Chapman says there are five ways that people give and receive love. Now plug in the word feel good for love when we're talking business. I guess we could call that appreciation. What makes a broker appreciate Savoy? What makes a client appreciate you, their broker? And again, one size does not fit all. Everyone wants to save money and everyone wants great service, but that is not what matters to all of us there is always an underlying way that we feel good about an interaction. And we're taught this at a very young age by our parents. They teach us how we understand what love means. For some of us, it's a kiss goodnight or hearing have a good day when you leave the house every morning. Or maybe it's coffee as you walk out the door or someone's picking up your dry cleaning. Maybe it's a lavish gift on a special occasion or a surprise vacation of sorts. Maybe it's calling home to say goodnight when you're away on business, or maybe it's making a supercalifragilistic speech in public, such as what a best man does at a wedding or what a spouse might do as a birthday toast. Our family traditions teach us what love means to us. How our parents expressed it to us is how we came to understand it. So let me explain how this works. Chapman says there are five main love languages, and we all have a primary and a second runner-up. Knowing your own is key to explaining what you need in a relationship, but knowing someone else's is so important to keep you from being a running hamster on a wheel, trying to seek positive attention when what you think they care about, they actually don't. Here are the five dominant love languages. These are the things that we learn in our life means love and or appreciation. One, acts of service. What have you done for me lately? Have you taken out the trash? Did you get my coffee? Did you remember how I like my coffee? Have you picked up my dry cleaning? People who are interested in acts of service want you to take something off their plate. In business, doing an audit on a first month's bill, making a custom booklet or a video so that the HR person can be removed from the burden of onboarding future new hires. Do you give this person the world's greatest spreadsheet? Do you spend hours helping the crankiest employee solve problems so that the HR department can be free of that? Acts of service are things we do to make life easy. If you were taught that acts of service means love or appreciation, 
These will be very important to you as you work with others in business. Two, physical touch. Now we all know what physical touch means in a marriage with our kids. It could be a literal hug, a pat on the back. It could be hand-holding, etc. But in business, it could just be regular in-person experiences. It might mean a regular drop-in once a month, a monthly newsletter. It could mean a round of golf or just a personal note or a text sent. Hey, thinking of you, how's it going? It's that personal high five. It's liking my stuff on social media. Acknowledging someone else through regular touches that don't necessarily have to be quality is what physical touch means in business. Number three, quality time. I want you all day long to myself. I don't need to see you often, but when I do, I expect no distractions. Don't tell this person you want to drop in because you happen to be in the area. Your visit should be about quality time and a quality agenda. These people feel valued when you honor that time with them in a very planned and special way. In business, this could be a lunch and learn. This person wants a deep dive experience. They want custom deliverables. They want 100% of your focus and they want you to make it meaningful, not habitual. Number four, words of affirmation. I hate to admit it, but this one is me. And if I had to guess, it's a lot of salespeople. These are people that feel good about their relationships when they are verbally affirmed. This might be when someone tells you or compliments you on a job well done or notices a new detail like a watch or a haircut. Or, hey, great business model you have here. I love your product and your employees seem really happy. Good for you. For them, they need to feel seen. Again, salespeople tend to fall into this category because after all, you picked a career that is affirmed by how much you make, which is directly related to how successful you've been. If you're dealing with an HR person publicly and applauding them for putting together a thoughtful benefit package in the presence of others, that would be key for this type of personality. Be sincere here. Always look for ways to compliment that are genuine. No one likes a brown noser. This person also likes you to keep it in the family. Don't go over their head without making them understand first. So in closing, words of affirmation are people that enjoy hearing how they're doing, feeling respected and validated from the words that you give them. Five, receiving gifts. This person says, show me the money, how much you spend on me, tickets, shows, golf, spa. These all make me feel appreciated. The bigger, the better. And I don't really care if you're part of it or not. You could just drop the tickets off. They don't care if you're there to share that time. They just want the perks. These clients were taught in their life through their parents, likely, that celebration and love comes in the form of gifts. So now that I've laid out all of this here, which one are you? What made you feel special in your daily life? And what by default do you do to others to make them feel special? Think about that. Think about whether what you express to someone else actually aligns with what they want. Have you ever asked them? Again, we all have one dominant and a second runner-up. Knowing your own and learning someone else's is the key to pleasing your partner both professionally and personally. So what can this look like in business? Do you have a team that wants more of your time? Do you want to give them acts of service and when all they actually want is quality? Hey, I'm drowning over here. Don't tell me I'm doing a good job. Sit here and take some of it from me. Or how about this? If you're a broker and you're super analytic and you give a deep dive analysis to a client with a wonderful spreadsheet and contribution analysis, 
And then you give it to this group that's small and you see it as this incredible act of service. Might it not be lost if what motivates the owner is physical touch and all he's thinking to himself is, hey, I haven't seen you all year and now you come in with this Excel sheet and it's not even speaking to me. Or what about this? What about a client that secretly gets annoyed by your newsletter because you send it too frequently, physical touch, and all it's filled with is things about ancillary and benefits that they really don't care about. And all they really want is quality time with you, face-to-face, -face, maybe a deep dive on something like Arissa. The bottom line is not all clients want the same thing. It takes emotional intelligence, self-confidence, a lot of question asking, and frankly, a lot of humble, put yourself in the buyer's shoes to make this work. When we apply all of this to everything we do, we cannot miss. I will give you a true real life example of one that hit home for me while working here at Savoy. About a year ago, a guy called and asked me if I would teach him health insurance. I asked him, what was the motive? Is it money? Is it cross sell? Is this a brand new career? He said, well, for me, it's cross-sell, and the motive is to make more money because I'm a P&C broker. What he needed from me was an act of service because he didn't actually want to do the work. He didn't understand how the GA space worked on the health side. I offered to hook him up with a co-broker, and he said, why should he give up comp? GAs in the P&C world just do the work entirely. I told him I could teach him, but he didn't really want to take the time that it was going to require. After an evaluation of his needs and a better understanding of the limited time he had to offer, it was clear to me that what he wanted was an act of service, but it was really one I couldn't give him without co-brokering somehow. He was after a low-touch, high-reward outcome, and I decided instead to introduce him to our worksite team. With a low investment of time, we were able to help him sell something easy, and the financial rewards were big. He got our act of service, and we got his loyalty. We all have some clients who want our time and others who would prefer our gifts. Some want us to take the problems off their plate and let them know when it's done, and others want us to let them do it and just be a good listener and give them the affirmation once they've completed it. Sometimes our clients just want to vent. So what does all of this mean? Well, it means we're not in the business of selling insurance after all. We happen to be in the make our clients feel good business and our success is directly linked to understanding what that means and mastering it. But this is a lot. And so how do you keep track of all this? And how does your team know how to keep track of all of this when you have multiple people interacting with a client? Personality types, personal notes, likes, dislikes, gifts. It's a lot, I know. To be successful at this, you have to keep a profile on your clients and a log of all your interactions, which will remind you to stay on track. Whether that's manual or through a tech platform, you should have a place to store all of that knowledge so that your team can later reference. You should know personal likes and dislikes, number of kids, where someone went to school, where they vacation, what they like to do for fun, how they started in business, what a successful year is going to look like for them, how are they being measured, how are they being recognized in their own role, and what's the greatest challenge in their business this year? What's the greatest opportunity? I ask all of this stuff because I'm a nosy body and I actually want to know all of this stuff. This is the very thing that helps you to get personal. And then there's the awkward part. How do you want me to communicate with you? How often are you a lunch person? What do you value? What, do you ex what have you experienced with your past broker that worked and what didn't? All of this stuff should be logged and kept on file. The bottom line is to make selling personal, you have to ask these questions and you have to record it. People do business with people, not with companies. The sale itself is just one small part of the relationship. 
Think about companies and how today things have changed. My car dealership, for example, has become super boutique, now serving breakfast and a selection of coffee and teas in a quiet weight room with media and so on. <laughs> my favorite hotel chain even knows my preferences, as do my airlines. The places I eat often greet me by name. They know my favorite table, and they can even anticipate what I'm going to order. Even Whole Foods just started doing this at-home delivery thing, and within one hour, I can have what I want, and they keep it on a diary of sorts where they know my prior orders. Consultative selling is the X factor that we talked about earlier. It is the intangible and the personal element that makes a customer choose your product even when the competition is priced lower. Finally, and really important, we're gonna talk about good habits. You can have a good relationship with bad habits, but you will have a great relationship if you have great habits. I'm going to end the podcast with a list of my top 10 old school tried and true habits that help in business, but in particular in sales. Number one, network. We can't do our jobs alone. Share and receive, and be sure to follow up with who you touch, because what's the point if you don't? It's quantity over quality. Join a trade association such as Nehu or Sherm, or join a local Rotary Club. Then, in addition to networking out there in person, Take five minutes at the beginning of every day to write three simple notes or emails to a customer, to a prospect, and to a friend. Just say hi, follow up, or send an article of interest. When you invest in other people, they invest in you. Two, entertain. 71% of successful people polled say that this helps them the most. Sales managers polled say that their most successful people have the highest expense reports. Get out of the office and connect. Three. Learn however you can all the time. Ask questions until people say you're annoying. Four, carve out time to prospect. And this means schedule it with yourself, be it once a day or once a week, but honor that commitment and make it a practice. Five, under promise and over deliver. Pretty self-explanatory. Six, give bad news quickly and verbally, never in an email and always when verbal with empathy and a plan of action on what next steps can be taken. Seven, be proactive, and this means do what you said you were going to do. Eight, be accessible, like 24-7 accessible, if you can help it. I know this is not what we wanna hear, but I promise you, trust comes from your availability and knowing that you're accessible when things go wrong. If it can't be you, do you have a backup? Do you have a plan? to fill the gaps when things go sideways and you may not be available. Nine, mind your manners, avoid politics, religion, and anything else for that matter that can divide you on a controversial topic. And then finally, 10, last but not least, have fun. Relationships can turn into friendships. And remember, when you enjoy what you do, your customers will enjoy it as well. Savoy is focused on continuing to build our relationships with brokers, but we're also here to assist you in expanding your own. I encourage you to work closely with your Savoy account exec to build a strategic plan for 2020 and beyond. And I encourage you to take some of the good habits we talked about here and put them to work in your everyday life. Before you know it, you'll be building stronger relationships in no time. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and I'd be happy to share some more information about the material we discussed, as well as some of my favorite podcasts that you can listen to while rolling into 2020. I wish everyone a successful and prosperous year. And we thank you once again for your partnership and your continued interest in our podcast series. Mm -hmm.